Happy Easter, and welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin, and I want to proclaim, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Easter is the most exciting and important day of the year for Christians around the world. But even so, I want to welcome you, no matter what faith tradition you come from, praying that you will find words of hope and meaning from what you hear. Today is a day of life and new beginnings for everyone. Today, I'll begin our Easter celebration with the telling of the resurrection story from the Gospel of St. Matthew. The main characters in our story are Joseph of Arimathea, Mary Magdalene, another woman named Mary, the chief priests and Pharisees, Pilate, and a detachment of the Roman guard posted at the tomb, an unnamed angel, and the recently resurrected Jesus. Our reading begins. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, and they said, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way and make it secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly, with fear and great joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! 
And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Here ends the Easter Gospel. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me say it again. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We can't say that too much. Say it with me one more time. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That proclamation stands at the center of the Christian faith. Christ rose bodily from the dead. Without the resurrection, the entire edifice of our faith falls. As the Apostle Paul put it, If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Perhaps even more importantly for us, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we are robbed of our hope for eternal life. And when I say raised from the dead, I mean literally raised from the dead. And nobody states that more emphatically than the author John Updike in his poem, Seven Stanzas for Easter. He writes, Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecule renit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent, It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was as his flesh. Ours, the same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of the enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages, let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awaken in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. The chief priests and the Pharisees, the ones responsible for Jesus' death, knew what was at stake, just as John Updike does, or did. They were paranoid that Jesus' followers will come and steal the body from the tomb and fake his resurrection. I guess even 2,000 years ago, People worried about fake news. The Roman governor Pilate humors them 
and orders a contingent of the guard to be placed at the tomb to guard it. A large stone is rolled in front of the entrance of the tomb. It is sealed and guards are put in place. As it turned out, the posting of the guard backfired on those who wanted to suppress the message of Jesus' power. The guards are overcome with awe when a powerful earthquake rolls back the stone and a dazzling angel appears to proclaim that Jesus has been raised and the tomb could not contain him. So instead of securing the tomb, the guards now become witnesses to the power of God overcoming death. They are witnesses for us and for all time that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, why is the historical witness of the resurrection so important? Even without it, there are signs of renewal of life everywhere in nature. We see it every springtime. Near the side of my house, where the snow has recently melted away, crocuses, hyacinth, and hostas are beginning to poke their heads through the warming, softened soil that had been rock-hard for months. Like the tomb, however, the earth could not contain the forces of life that lay beneath the surface waiting for these warm days. The swelling buds of the hyacinths are betraying specks of purple as they threaten to burst forth with new life. Soon nature will paint the landscape from its palette of living colors. The birds returning from the south will proclaim the message that death is not the end of life, it is the beginning. Even Jesus used a natural agricultural image to describe what resurrection was like. He told his disciples who were worried that he might be killed, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Most assuredly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. I grew up in farm country. I saw the investment that farmers make in seed every year. They spread thousands of dollars of seed onto the ground and bury it. And they only do that because they have faith that those seeds will germinate and bring forth new life. In fact, each grain produces many grains in return. So it is with us, says Jesus. When we are buried in the ground, it is not the end. We will receive new life in abundance. But there's one weakness with the analogy of the cycle of life in nature. As Updike put it in his poem about Jesus' resurrection, it was not as the flowers each soft spring recurrent. You see, for the flowers will wither and die again in the coming fall. The resurrection of Jesus was a resurrection to eternal life. This was not a continuing cycle. He would not die again. He would live on in the eternal presence of God and does live on in the eternal presence of God. And here is the real promise of Easter 
so will we. Christ is risen, and we too shall arise. That's my direct and really simple message for you today. But the question remains, how will you respond? I preached on Easter Sunday in a pretty traditional Lutheran church every year for 30 years. Even in that predictable environment, when I looked out at that sea of faces, I knew that different people were reaching a myriad of different conclusions as to what I was getting at when I said, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Now John, the mechanical engineer who sat in the front row, not 20 feet from the pulpit every Sunday, carefully analyzing every word I said, didn't quite know what to think on Easter. I know because he told me. His logical, analytical mind could not wrap around an event that contradicted the laws of nature. His best explanation was that the writers of the Bible were creating a symbolic image of what the loss of Christ meant to them. To him, Christ's resurrection was a spiritual event, not physical. And I'm fine with the way John saw things. But seated a few rows back on the other side of the aisle sat Mary smiling from ear to ear. Easter was her favorite Sunday of the year. She had no trouble with an angel descending so violently that it caused an earthquake to roll back the stone, or that Jesus inexplicably was absent from the tomb. For the Mary of my congregation, the guards and the two Marys at the tomb were credible witnesses. Christ had indeed been raised from the dead, and that filled her with hope and joy. Now, sitting next to Mary was June. I could see from looking at her face, June was troubled. Just the week before, I had presided at her father's funeral. Her father was a difficult man, and June's reaction to his death was fear. She was afraid that she would never see him again, and that their troubled relationship would never be resolved. She wanted to believe that they would be reunited in a better place, but the pain of loss was just too strong to overcome by a few words that I spoke at the funeral or on Easter morning. She heard, Christ is risen. Maybe. This morning, thanks to the miracle of internet technology, I know that I'm speaking to an equally, if not more diverse congregation than, I w- than the one I always stood physically in front of. I know that my message is being greeted in different ways. I'm here to tell you that no matter how you understand the miracle of Easter morning, it's all right. You see, that's the true miracle. God sent that earth-shaking angel to speak to each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit will speak to you individually this morning in a way that I, with my frail human voice, will never be able to. Not only that, thinking back on this morning in the future, you may hear it in a different way. On the day that someone you love dies, you may have an aha moment and think, you know, that's what Easter is about. Christ is risen. How do I know for certain 
that your individual reaction is okay by God? I know it because the two Marys who loved Jesus and who were there on that fateful morning didn't quite know how to feel either. Matthew says that they fled the tomb with fear and great joy. Now, isn't that a peculiar mix of emotions? Fear and great joy. I also know that the disciples, Jesus' trusty band of followers, went into hiding because they didn't know if this was good news or bad news. I know that Thomas would not believe until he saw and touched the resurrected Lord. But I also know that in the end, they all believed. What are you feeling right now? Fear? Great joy? Or are you just confused? So I'm going to say it one more time, and then I'll let the Holy Spirit take over. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May you have a happy and blessed Easter. <music>